You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland. Hello and welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast and our first episode of 2023. We have trimmed a couple of our regular slots on this occasion to accommodate some great content from John Greensmith that we weren't able to include when he featured in the October edition of this podcast. It also seemed like a good point at which to throw in some podcasting outtakes that you might enjoy. As ever though, we will begin by hearing some news and updates from Erica Banks. Well, Erica, it's a new year. 2023 is here. Happy New Year. Thank you. And to you. Exciting year ahead. We can officially say this is the year the Anchor Centre opens. Fantastic. A long-awaited ambition for the northeast of Scotland and to be able to say that those doors open and will begin receiving patients this year is incredible. And it will be such a benefit to northeast cancer care. So roll on the opening. And do we have an exact date for the opening? So the exact date is not set. At the moment, we're looking towards the end of this year and pretty soon they'll begin transitioning some of the services over and beginning that kind of crossover period. And what it means for Aberdeen is that all outpatient and day patient care that is currently delivered for anchor patients with an ARI will shift over to this brand new purpose-built fantastic facility that we've heard about from Louise Budge in previous episodes. So everything fit for purpose, everything shiny and new, and it's going to be such a huge, significant improvement. Great. That's just tremendous. And just now, what would you like to highlight for us? Well, we're starting the year off with a bit of a bang. We've got quite a few things coming up, the first of which is our Wellbeing Retreat Day, which is actually on January 14th. So there is still time to get involved and sign up to register for that. This is basically a day where we have carefully curated this programme of wellbeing events and sample therapies. So if you are an oncology or haematology patient or a family member or a carer for somebody who's going through treatment, you can come along to that and see what support and services are available for you and sample some of them as well. So we'll have like our mini complementary therapy, so mini massage, mini manicures and a taster of some of the more in-depth services that we provide like mindfulness. There will also be a yoga session. There'll be a really nice nutritious lunch provided, complimentary tea and coffee. So this is a Saturday in January where there's not really an awful lot else going on. So you can get yourself along to the King's Church and just enjoy the day that's been put on and the spread that's put on in the hospitality and find out a little bit more about the support that you could benefit from or that your family members could benefit from. And in addition to the wellbeing retreat, we also have our next eight-week mindfulness course coming up that will start on February 1st. So that remains online just now. And this is a course that I've done. I think we've spoken about this before, Mike, that I've done and that I got so much benefit from. Some of the key takeaways that patients or former patients tell us about is the stress reduction and improvement in sleep. And if we can have two of those things in our life, that's fantastic. And if you're going through what can be a very stressful time of treatment or diagnosis as well, that's why we've created this course to help alleviate some of those pressures. And in person, we've also got a full complement of services back up and running in the hospital, which is fantastic. So in the outpatient wards now, as well as the inpatient, we've got podiatry, we've got mindfulness in person, we've got massage returned, nail therapies returned. And what this means is we're always on the lookout and keen to hear from new therapists as well. So oncology trained massage therapists or nail technicians or reflexology technicians. And this is something that we'll be growing the wellbeing team as we look ahead to the anchor centre as well. So if that sounds like something that a listener is qualified in and might like to get involved in then we would love to hear from you as well brilliant 
And is there anything else that you'd like to mention? Yeah, well, if anyone listening is anyone like me, I've got a list of New Year's resolutions as long as my arm and I know I'll take off maybe two out of ten. But for those people who are setting themselves a goal or a challenge, then we've got a whole host of things to choose from. So our challenge event calendar, this is basically our calendar of events is for physical challenges. So whether you're a runner, a walker, a cyclist, if you're a thrill seeker and you're a bit of adrenaline junkie, we've got something for everyone. So Friends of Anchor Fundraising Wellbeing Team, we're going to come together and enter a Kilt Walk squad next year. It's just shy of 18 miles, so it's a long way, but like what a great challenge to take on yeah. and say that you've done. We've got the Glack Trail, which is a fantastic trail run in the spring. There's so much going on, so would really encourage you, if you're going to set a goal, think about doing it for a good local cause and, and get in touch with us if there's anything that takes your fancy. Great. And I think we've got news on the Brave and Courage on the Catwalk front as well. We do. So applications are now live. So it's really exciting. I'm sure you can hear my voice, the massive smile on my face. It's a huge highlight of the year for everyone at Friends of Anchor because it's such a long running experience. You know, it begins for us in the fundraising and wellbeing teams in January and February when we're encouraging applications right through to the show weekend in May. So right now we are looking for anyone who lives locally who has experienced a cancer or haematology diagnosis. And that can be people currently going through treatment, people whose treatment finished long ago or people who are living with cancer. We'd really encourage you to find out more and see if you think it's the type of thing you might like to take part in. In essence, it's a fashion show, but it's so much more than that. It's a chance to fundraise, it's a chance to raise awareness, a chance to build a whole new group of friends. And we're about to hear a lot about that experience from John Greensmith, who was one of last year's Brave Models. And no one will say it better than John, so I'll let listeners hear it from him firsthand. And if it is something that catches the interest of any listeners, then please just go to friendsofanchor.org, click on events, and you'll find all the information that you need there. So without any further ado, we are going to do exactly what Erica suggested by hearing from John Greensmith, who starts by introducing himself and then goes on to talk about Brave and a number of other topics. I am a young 64-year-old, probably noticed from my accent that I'm not Scottish. I was born in Ireland, but I've lived in Aboyne for over 30 years, and work brought me to the northeast of Scotland as I started off life here as a commercial diver. And then following my diagnosis, I then... Worked in the office, got a proper job, as my dad would have said, (laughs) and then stopped working 2014 when my health deteriorated. And can you tell us just a little bit about your diagnosis? I was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, CLL for short. It's a cancer of the blood and lymph system, and it is a cancer of which there is no cure, but it is treatable. When I say there's no cure, that was certainly the message I got originally. But given the research and the advances in medical science, there's potential for a cure around the corner. So that's always hopeful. And in terms of your diagnosis, when did that happen? That happened in 1990. So as I celebrated my 64th birthday in March of this year, I have the unenviable statistic of having now lived with cancer longer than I've lived without it. And I hope to increase that particular statistic. And we hope so as well. A couple of months ago, you featured in Brave. Can you tell us about that event and your involvement in it? I was originally going to be in the 
the class of 2020, but as we now know, that never happened. And when it was suggested that I could put an application in, I was a little bit nervous because despite being an extrovert, doing something on a stage Mm. was something that was definitely out with my comfort zone. I mean, I've done all sorts of fundraising activities, a wing walk, cycling. I did a parachute jump years and years ago. So stuff like that, I was quite happy to do. But do something on a stage? No. So I had no illusions of grandeur whatsoever. (laughs) But it's a tremendously worthwhile initiative. And I knew of one or two people who had done it, one who sadly passed away. Um, Two, in fact, sorry. But I knew the potential and the opportunity to raise funds. So, yes, I was pleased in the end that my application was successful. But, uh, you know, my fingers were crossed as to the actual come the day of the, the performance that I wouldn't be so wooden that I would let the side down. So can you talk us through from having been selected to take part in Brave, what's the process, what happens, what's behind the scenes before it becomes that fashion show which has been so popular and become part of Aberdeen's annual cycle, really? The first thing is the meet and greet. So you meet up in, uh, as it was, the Star Ballroom uh, by the Beach Ballroom Mm. in, in Aberdeen on the seafront there, and you got to meet your fellow models and... As it happened, of the 24 of us, I just knew two others. And Mm -hmm. it was clear that some of the other lads knew each other. And then, of course, there were some alumni from previous years there to give us a little bit of a pep talk and take a lot of the mystery out of it. The Friends of Anchor ladies were very welcoming. And we saw immediately that cameras were rolling to take some background information. So we kind of had to get used to the fact that cameras were going to be there every time. But the real kickoff from my perspective was what they call the icebreaker dinner. That was in the Kirkview restaurant there on Belmont Street. And it was an opportunity to really sit down. And it's great. When you, when you sit down and break bread with people, you start to get to know them. And, and the girls had engineered a variety of information gathering games that we had to participate in. So we actually did get to know each other and not just talk to the two guys you knew. So you, you, you had to mingle. And that definitely fulfilled its title in in breaking the ice and then every other week we had a a rehearsal and the rehearsal was in just a big meeting room in one of the hotels up at Alton's or uh, in West Hill and they basically put a couple of chairs to mimic the pattern of the catwalk and we started to throw some shapes and (laughs) you know day one was definitely very wooden And some people you could see are able to actually move to some form of a beat. And others were like, I suppose if you were to use strictly as an example, you know, clearly the non-dancer in the group. But it was good fun. Good. And who was putting you through your paces? The people from Premier Productions. And they were great because they just approached it with such enthusiasm and wouldn't take no for an answer in terms of, yes, you will be doing this and you will be fabulous. And you're looking at them and you're saying, do you really realise how badly I move? <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't seem to matter. And, and it didn't matter. And that was the great thing about it because we had an age range of 25 to 77 in our group and all sorts of body shapes and it was just great fun and the one thing from start to finish was fun 
Great. And in terms of the outfits, what did you get to wear? Right. Well, I got to wear, obviously, a kilt, but I also got to wear two outfits which were provided by Marks and Spencers. Slater Menswear also did outfits for, for some other groups within our team. We were split up and it was a summer casual outfit that I wore for the first catwalk cycle. And then we had suits. And I have to say, I was really impressed with the gear I got. We had a Saturday afternoon fitting at Marks and Spencers and Gail and Karen and Fiona were there to help us choose the right fit and the right style. And the clothes really felt good. And it's classic, clothes make it the man. And as a result, I felt good. And that's even before we, we stepped on the catwalk. And then we were all fitted with kilts. We didn't actually wear the kilt until the first night of the show, which was a bit worrying, but they fitted absolutely perfectly. And talk us through the moves that you made and the shapes that you cast on that particular evening. Well, it was really all down to the music. And we had good fun because we ended up more or less picking out the music. A few of the lads were into their music, Stuart, Glenn, Callum. So we started to pick out a few tunes and all the tunes had a good beat. I mean, there were so many good tunes, but they didn't all have a good beat that you could actually move to. So it was essential to get a good beat. And over the weeks leading up to the show, we finalised, with Gail's permission, a playlist. And the playlist was real move your bones music. <laughs> and, and it really helped. And I wouldn't have thought that it was possible to mobilize one's bones in such a manner <laughs> without the good music that we had. And the other ingredient of actually being able to do it, even though you probably wouldn't normally be able to do it, is the audience. It must be what performers on the stage feel. And one of our number, Rory, uh, ex-West End performer, he was in Starlight for, what, 11 years or so? Wow. So he was able to tell us about the feeding from the audience and his own performance on the night, especially when he was wearing his kilt. I mean, that's one of my abiding memories of each night. And it's just the way that it just grabs you it gives you extra movement and my own movement. I ended up putting one foot in front of the other. Well, that's walking, I suppose. But <laughs> <laughs> It is indeed. <laughs> yeah, 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 that much I had figured out. But no, to a kind of a step where I would just put my front foot in the air and the same back. And that became my move. I was told afterwards that, you know, I, I'd obviously repeated that move a couple of times. But you just feed off the crowd and all the Red Army that are there, that are on their knees and, you know, kneeling down or sitting down by the tables. You recognise a lot of them. And with the way the lights are, you could see the people in the first tables. But after that, everything was reasonably dark. So uh, feeding from the girls in the Red Army was great because it really gave you encouragement and, and the enthusiasm they had was, was phenomenal. And for the benefit of listeners who might be wondering why there were so many Aberdeen FC supporters in the audience, the Red Army actually is. All the volunteers that were helping out on the night of the shows, and they all have the red t-shirts, which are the Friends of Anchor signature red t-shirts, so known affectionately as the Red Army. Terrific. And watching on the evening that I was there, it just struck me that there did seem to be a great camaraderie among the group of men taking part and that you were all invested in each other's performance and willing each other on. That was one thing that was inspiring 
we started each rehearsal with some food because it was like half a six of an evening so that there'd be, there'd be some food like stovies or mac and cheese or chili or something like that. And again, because you were eating and sitting around the table, you began to know people. And the first thing you started to talk about was sport. But as you got to know people, you actually started talking about, you know, what their diagnosis was because you had all sorts of cancers, you know, solid tumours, you had throat cancers, mm. you had hematology based cancers. There was such a variety that it meant that you had to ask questions because you didn't know an awful lot about other cancers apart from your own. So you did get to know the guys and you realized the limitations. Some of us were going through treatment all during the rehearsals and, and even over the, uh, the the show nights. And you, you began to recognize the, the frailties and the strengths. And then there was the featured videos. There was three featured videos. And in as much as we knew the stories to a certain extent behind them, when we actually heard those videos, because we didn't see them because we were backstage, but obviously we, we were quiet. And when we heard those videos being played to the audience, you could cut the atmosphere behind with a knife. It was just empathy. There was silence and all sorts of stuff went through. And the lads who did those videos... Because they were hearing them as well. They, they, you could see that, you know, it was emotional. And, and we were there. And I think it's not a bloke thing to do. But we were there to put the arm around the shoulder. And, uh, and, and it was great. The, the, the camaraderie was something I just couldn't have anticipated would actually have happened. Especially between blokes, you know. Guys don't do stuff like that. But they do. And uh, my whole body is tingling just listening to you talking about that. And it's had the most fantastic finale. Tell me about or tell our listeners about the Icelandic clap that you initiated. Yeah, we had a session at the final rehearsal where a few words were said. And then the lad said, we should really say something at the end. It wasn't ever scripted. It wasn't ever in the order of service, if you want to call it that, that there would have been a speech at the end. So I managed to put a few words together. Sorry, ideas. I don't do words. <laughs> and then I don't know where it was. I must have seen it somewhere. Or it came back to me about the, the thunderclap or the Icelandic clap. And Glenn, who was our trumpeter extraordinaire. And, and when Glenn introduced the whole show with his fanfare for the common man, I don't have much hair, but the little bit I have at the back of my neck just stood up. And it was just, what a way to start a show. So I said to Glenn, I said, do you have a drum? And he, of course, he asked me all sorts of technical questions about a drum. So in, in the end, we got a, a, a drum and said to the guys on the Thursday, because the Thursday afternoon was actually the first time we were on the catwalk. Because mm. the catwalk and every other uh, rehearsal hadn't been built Whilst we'd been at the Star Ballroom, we hadn't been at the Beach Ballroom section of it. So the catwalk was built, and Thursday afternoon was the first time we actually got to walk on the catwalk. So at the end, after we'd done on our finales, we were to walk down along the, the side of the catwalk and sit on the edge of the catwalk whilst the speeches from Sir Jimmy Milne and others were delivered. And I thought that was a great opportunity to do the thunderclap because we wanted to thank everybody. Mm. Everybody had gifted their time, their talent, willingly, enthusiastically, 
and also the, the Red Army that I talked about earlier. You know, I mean, the, the amount of time, especially the, the nurses up in, in ARI who had taken leave to take off their uniforms, put on their red T-shirt and just make the event happen. Fantastic. I, that was really inspiring. So we wanted to thank them and just thank them in our way. So we managed to clear the ballroom because we wanted there to be an element of surprise about it on the first night. And, uh, and it worked out. I said a few words, which were the gathered thoughts of all the guys. And then we did the thunderclap. And I think it achieved its aim. And it was great for us. And, and more importantly, it really gave us an opportunity to say thank you in public. And also to thank all the people who'd been there. You know, the tickets aren't cheap, but phenomenal calls. And everybody was willingly there and enjoying a good night but it was also an opportunity for us to thank the people who had come yeah and in terms of friends and family what kind of response did you get was your wife impressed at your catwalk style (laughs) well suffice to say that she really enjoyed it and it was great our son works in dublin and he flew in on the friday for the event and in fact his flight was delayed it was due to land something like half past four or five o'clock Rory, who works at the airport, was tracking the flight and flight radar for me. And Elena was there to greet him at the door because I had the suit that he was wearing and stuff like that. So it was great on the Friday and we had a table full of friends from a Boyne. They had a minibus in, so they had a bit of a party atmosphere on the way in and out. And it was great. Brilliant. And men and cancer can be an interesting equation. From your experience now over so many years, what are some of the things that might be helpful to consider for men who are faced with a cancer diagnosis or who end up undergoing cancer treatment? What struck me about BRAVE and what I've learned from it from a men point of view, if I go back to when I would be in the waiting room in the haematology ward, the worst thing I wanted to happen in the waiting room was that I would recognise somebody else there. It's not like the lounge in Aberdeen Airport where you like to meet people and be seen by people. Sure. Uh, The last thing I wanted to do was recognize anybody because they were there for similar reason that I was there for, which I wouldn't wish on, on anybody. Men, by and large keep things to themselves they're supposed to do the stiff upper lip and you, you you hear the term which is now really frowned upon you know come on man up and it can be a lonely place if you're expected to man up so my takeaway is that the likes of brave gave us an opportunity to talk amongst ourselves we understood where we were coming from by virtue of the shared experience. And as I said at the few words, at the end of each show, we'd been there, we'd done that. And by virtue of the fact that we had the black Brave Model t-shirt done, we actually had got the t-shirt. But as our Brave rehearsals were happening and we were getting to know each other, we started a WhatsApp group. We started to share things Some of the guys would be going in for tests and maybe the results weren't what they had hoped. And the support and empathy that came out of that was unexpected and inspiring. And it was gratifying to see that guys could actually talk to each other in a way that I would never have anticipated. That's great. Thank you. And in terms of managing the side effects, coping with treatments generally over the years, is there anything else that's been important to you that you'd like to share with others who may be in a similar situation? 
side effects are part and parcel of any cancer treatment, especially a chemo-based cancer treatment. I'm lucky right now. I'm on treatment every day. I take medication every day, but it's in pill form and it's not a chemotherapy. But I've gone through a lot of different chemo regimes. Some of them are really, really rough. And there are times when you could be on your knees (laughs) talking to God on the great white telephone, as they say. (laughs) And that's not good because if you're throwing up, that means you're in danger of not absorbing the very treatment that's supposed to do you good. Mm -hmm. So it's important to control your sickness. So the anti-sickness or anti-emetic drugs are vital to get them right. And the good thing is that there are a number of anti-sickness drug regimes available. So if one doesn't work and you're feeling nauseous and you're throwing up, switch immediately, obviously on medical advice, to type B, type C, type D, so as you do control it because it has so many benefits. The other one I particularly experienced one time was you had your chemo, let's call it the start of the month, over one or two days maybe, or just one day. Then you had a variety of pills to take. And some of the pills were part of the chemo and some of the pills were part of the countermeasures to counter the side effects of the chemo. So it was like having a box of Smarties, you know, out on the table in front of you. And I distinctly remember one time the very act of putting my fingers on one of the tablets that I had to take produced a gag reflex. Mm. Like I knew if I take this pill, I'm going to be sick, despite having optimized the antiemetics. So I basically had to call myself aside and have a conversation with myself to say, this pill isn't going to make you sick. This pill is going to make you better. And I had to train my mind to look at it from that perspective. And it was only afterwards I realized that that's exactly what I had done. I, I I didn't have the foresight to think about this. I'm not some superhuman person with all sorts of analytics available to me. I'm a guy who's been there and found this out by trial and error. Sure. But it was important for me to realize that this pill was going to make me better. So therefore, I'll take it and it will be better rather than this is going to make me sick. And I might as well just head straight to the loo now because. Yeah. And it's funny when you realize things like that, you begin to say, well, you know, maybe somebody else would have benefited from that sort of weird sense of logic. But it's a logic that worked for me. And I'm sure there are plenty of things that work for some people and don't work for others. But it's worth sharing. What about work? Because we're at work a lot and for us to be ill while at work can sometimes be interesting and can sometimes be interesting for our workmates as well. Any thoughts on that particular side of things? To be honest with you, my diagnosis meant that I actually had to undergo a career change. I couldn't really undertake my work as a diver, so I came on shore. And then I actually got a staff job during my diagnosis and early treatment. And I have to say the reassurance I got from the company's HR department. At the time, I was working with Stena Offshore, which is no longer in existence. is now TechNEP. And then through all my various cycles of treatment, sometimes with two, three, four-year gaps, the support I got from the company's management and my colleagues, especially towards the latter end of my working period, when I was absent from work more often than I was at work, the way my colleagues stepped up. 
without being asked and just took on the responsibilities, the extra workload. And then I basically had to fall on my sword and say, right, you know, the time has come. But it is great from a patient perspective if a company can officially help and support a person. Because, as I said, they're a person first, they're a patient second. And at the latter end, when I was going to stop working and take advantage of a permanent health insurance, it was very important that my wife was involved in discussions. And it was always done with the utmost tact and respect for everybody involved. And in hindsight, I realize now how reassuring that was for myself. It was reassuring for my wife and it put us all so much at ease and able to deal with all of the other stuff that you've got to deal with. One final question from me. You have been our first guest on the Friends of Anchor podcast. What would be your thoughts and aspirations for it? First of all, I'm pleased that I'm given the opportunity to be the test pilot or crash test dummy. (laughs) Anything that can allow Friends of Anchor to fulfill their mission in reaching out to cancer patients throughout the Northeast is great. We have to adopt and adapt all the technology that's available to us. It also will allow Friends to be able to advertise the services that are available. So from a podcasting point of view, I would like to see a variety of people and even some of the nurses and other clinical staff from the Anchor Centre contribute to these podcasts because it's the variety of inputs that will broaden Mm -hmm. our horizons and uh, enable us to understand all of the aspects of dealing with cancer. And I would also give a shout out that if we could get one of the family members to come along, I think that would be great too. We have been doing our best to implement John's suggestions, but we know that there is always room for improvement, especially when efforts in that direction are informed by feedback received. So please do let us know how we are doing, and please pass on suggestions regarding any aspect of the podcast, its content, format, etc. We would also love it if you would sign up to receive updates from us by filling in the brief form to which there is a link in the show notes. And finally... I should come clean and confess that launching the Friends of Anchor podcast has been a learning curve which has required a fair number of retakes in response to slips of a tongue, brain freezes or interruptions arising from doing some recording from home. As you will hear, even the media pro that is Erica Banks can slip up occasionally and evidence is also provided to illustrate why Alison and I have never yet managed to record our slot in a single take. Do tell us, Erica, how the supporter thank you event went. That was a great day. We were flipping out. This box comes with a, a signposting leaflet, I suppose, for want of a better word, just to just to bring people up to speed with what else is out there. I just think that's such a mess, Mike. We'll just have to do that bit again. Well, we've got we'll have our usual events: Courage on the Catwalk and Brave, of course, um, and we will. Okay, let's go again. <laughs> We've got reindeer food, magic reindeer keys, Santa keys, magic Santa keys. I'll do that again. There will also be a yogurt, yogurt, a yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the bloopers reel. It's good timing as well because for...
Yeah, we are on the flight path. Everywhere in Aberdeen's on the flight yeah. path, isn't it? <laughs> and anything else that's happening in the, the relatively near future? Yeah, I'm just going to stop because you've got someone coming in your gate with a ladder. <laughs> okay, in that case, let's pause on that. Moving on to our Finding the Words segment, I'm joined, as ever, by my wife, Alison. Thank you, Mike. Welcome, Alison. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Too early. Too welcome, Alison. So I was going, oh, all right, I'll try again. Sorry, I just was <laughs> too keen to be in. Well, some people need it to, well, some people need it, well. <laughs> well, 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 well. Well, <laughs> I'm going to do all that again. And also because we think that it can be only help. And also because we think it can only help for those... Oh, no, it's one of these ones. And also because we think it can help... <laughs> it always solves a problem of drink water. It felt to me as if a live grenade had been lobbed into the conversation by the doctor and all of a sudden I was being asked to jubble... To jubble? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I really, I really don't see why "jubble" isn't a word. I think "jubble" is a great word. Don't make me laugh anymore. <laughs> okay, I'll try that one again. Please do. We do hope that you successfully manage to jubble everything that comes your way over the next twelve months, and send our very best wishes to you, your family, and friends for a very happy and healthy 2023. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go. 